0: You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constricted Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the 17th episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I am your gatekeeper host Mason and I'm joined by Patrol Guard Trey.
0: Wow, (laughs) you could have gone Keymaster and made a real easy Ghostbuster reference but you don't know anything about Ghostbusters. You
1: literally just made a like almost Keyblade reference for Kingdom Hearts but you don't know anything about Kingdom Hearts. And that's been the show. <laughs> <laughs> 17 was a long time for our podcast, the last one we did it. <laughs> now, jokes aside, we have a pretty exciting episode today. This is something that Trey's wanted to do for a while, and we finally kind of had a moment that we thought was exciting. So I'm excited to kind of go into a deck dive and talk about the whole process and everything. We'll get more into that in a second. But first, got to get a word from our sponsor, who gave up their Super Bowl ad to be on this podcast. We told them it's us or them. He chose us.
0: And that loyalty is always appreciated from your friends and mine, the Wayfinder Travel Agency. The Wayfinder Travel Agency is back with the travel deal for the discerning gentleman ready for a unique adventure. The Glorious Azorius Justice Must List. Bring yourself to all the world's attractions where justice has already been brought. From everywhere from Alcatraz to the Tower of London to Australia. You'll love the Glorious Azorius Justice Must List. Lawbringers delight this summer with this great package from Wayfinder Travel Agency.
1: Yeah, it's a great deal. You know, in eighth grade, we went on that trip for my school, and it was a lot of fun. (laughs) So, Trey, do you kind of want to, like, this is kind of your brainchild of an episode and everything, kind of talk about why we're doing this and whatnot? Take the lead. Take the leads. I'm handing the reins, my (laughs) friend.
0: Yeah, this is something that Mason's right that I've wanted to try to do, and I haven't really ever seen a podcast really talk about. There's, there's often times that somebody will have a deck that they've been working on or a deck that they've built, and they talk a lot about why they like it or that it's good or they think it's good for a particular meta, but there's not a lot of discussion about why that is, like how they got to that point, what was the process, and making the decision and looking at the metagame and then looking at the deck and going through the testing process and reaching the conclusions on a, like a nuts and bolts standpoint of how you got the deck from the point it was where you started to the point that it was for the event that you played it in. And that's something that you you gain as a skill as you continue to try to play Magic and try to play competitive Magic. But it's not a thing that really gets talked about on a direct level. And I wanted to try to spend this time and try to talk about it. And we figured that this deck right now was a good one in order to try to try this out and see how people like it and see whether or not it's something we should continue to try to do in the future.
1: Yeah, you know, this is something that we talked about doing back for the modern RPTQ, but it was harder to do then because the modern decks are so established and there's so much more information. We figured it's a new standard format and people are building new decks and stuff. So this is a thing we hear people kind of talk about a lot, but they don't really get, doesn't really get covered. Kind of like what you said. Right. And so, you know, there's been a lot of buzz around the Gates Matters
0: deck, and a lot of that has to do with Mason, you know, as a result of the top 32 finish at the Star City Games uh, in Indy. And so, you know, because of that, we've seen that list and other people have been playing that list. We figured that that would be a good place to try to focus and try to talk about the process of going through that. Um, You know, and the big thing is is that, you know, some people are born into the Gates life and then some people the
1: gate life chooses them. (laughs) It's true. You too can play with ETB Tap lands. (laughs) My friend Ellison, we were playtesting some last night for the RPTQ, and he dealt me like seven damage in the first three turns. I played three Tap lands. I'm like, you too can play this deck. (laughs) And so as a starting
0: point, you know, one of the things that I want to try to get going with it is for people that don't know,
1: what is the gate deck? Sure. So we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But basically, the gate deck is a ramp deck. It has the best board clearing standard right now. So it plays all the gate matter cards like Gatebreaker Ram, Gates of Blaze, Gate Colossus. And the one that really makes the deck hum is Guild Summit. So you don't know what those cards do. Long story short, two big threats. Gates of Blaze is a uh, deal damage equal to the number of gates you have. Two creatures. It's a two board creatures, place. yes. for uh, It's basically Wrath of God most of the time. This is the way standard lines up. And then we have Guild Summit, which when it enters the battlefield, you can tap gates that are untapped to draw cards or when a gate enters the battlefield, you draw a card. So this lets you kind of hum through your deck. And then you have an Explosive Vegetation that grabs gates. So those are like really the gates cards, along with Plaza of Harmony, which is a uh, it's a reflecting pool. So it does whatever your gates can do, but it also gains you three life when it enters the battlefield if you have two gates. So you lean on that card a lot to kind of shore up the aggro matchups
0: do whatever your gates can do is like the worst Spider-Man I've ever heard. Of.
1: <laughs> I can do whatever the staff link can do. I'm a Shockland. I can't enter untapped. You can play with me right now. Trace Segway. I don't know how to stop this. Watch out. I'm the awkward man. <laughs> yeah, you really backed yourself into a corner without. one. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't see me doing the Spider-Man thing. He, really
0: <laughs> got, he was really shooting webs with his hands the whole time he sang that song, which I wish we had video only for that. That was pretty good. Um, but yeah, so those are, like, the, the Gate Matters cards and those kinds of things. So, like, that's kind of the way that the deck generally operates. What is the draw to wanting to play this kind of a deck in this type of environment?
1: Sure. So, originally we started playing uh, the Gates Matter deck because I'm, I'm still very confident that Black Red is a good deck. And I'm, pretty, I'm confident that, like, the Black Green midrange and Control decks are good. But we, we were pretty sure from playing that the Gates deck was good there was something there, we just kind of figure out what the slots were gonna be, right? Watson we'll kind of gave us this pre-built deck, like, hey, put all these gate cards in your deck and figure out the last 15 or 20. And so we started playing it and we realized what it does is it actually, once you put Archway Angel in your deck, which I think is a Gates Matter card that isn't pivotal to all Gates decks, Just the way we've built our deck to be kind of bigger than other big decks. You kind of need this uh, card. And the angel says, when it enters the battlefield, you gain two life for each gate you control. So lots of times it's a gain eight or ten if played on turn six against the mono red decks. And because the red decks are so burn heavy, that kind of closes out that corner. So once we figure out how to beat the burn decks, you basically beat all the mid range decks. And you can beat all the control decks. So you have no matchups that are really that... Like every matchup has a winnable line in it. So it's a deck that not only has ways to win all the games, but it overpowers every other deck in the format and has a ways to attack all those decks. And like as you're playing, you start to realize these things. You start to realize cards you can play to fix these problems that the gate deck has. And it's to the point, Trey, where I feel confident saying, it's the best standard deck I've played since Team Energy. Well, wow, it's a pretty pretty bold claim it, it is and hopefully uh, after tomorrow i can back that up some more some results but, but yeah. <laughs> yeah and
0: so just so everyone knows we're recording the day before we we play in the rptq tomorrow so we'll we'll have a better idea of how it all works out
1: yeah but honestly going to this rptq i feel like this deck is very strong and the reason to play it really is that you don't lose to the Sultai deck your Sultai deck matchup is very strong and that goes to all mid-range decks any deck that's trying to like beat down but sometimes control and stuff like that has zero chance against you After board against the control decks, you have enough negates and recursive threats that they can't really beat you. And then the aggro decks, as long as you draw two plots of harmonies or an archway angel, whichever, like, kind of happens, you can beat them. And then with the way we've changed the deck from now, from the SCG, we're even better against red decks, so we added more lower to the cost uh lower to the ground cards to interact with them yeah
0: so i i will say from having playtested this deck so if your opponent plays a forest or a woodland cemetery you get very excited turn one
1: yeah like if you're like a gp memphis for example or maybe an rpdq in the following weekend if you if Sultai is still the deck going to this weekend i would highly recommend playing this deck they bring in a bunch of duresses and negates post board, but as long as you stick one of your big cards Or they don't, like, they have to pressure you plus do it. It's the classic clock plus pressure is what beats us, but the only deck that can really do that is mono blue. And even then, they're forced to develop slowly if they don't have a curious obsession draw because of Gates of Blaze. But Well, we'll get more into that later. Yeah, let's start trying to go through kind of some of what the process is. What was
0: the original list? Like, where did things start out?
1: So our friend James Hess, we were testing on Cockatrice, which of course we would never do, wink. Uh, and <laughs> it was before all the cards were coming out, and he built a gate stack. And I built a ramp deck that was with Hydroid Krasis, And then my ramp deck seemed kind of bad, but I was like, man, Hydroid Crasis is good. This card's powerful. And he built a gate he built a gate stack and he built it without even realizing Clause of Harmony Game 3 life. So the first game we played, I was beating him down with the Rakdos deck that I thought I was going to be playing at the SCG, and I was playing other aggressive decks. And he would play Gates of Blaze and would clear the board, and he would play the Plaza, and I had to remind him of gain three of life. And he's like, the first game was like, oh, I didn't even know he did that. And once he was like almost able to stabilize after I had these insane draws, and like the only reason I was beating him was multiple Theater of Horrors. I was like. I, there's probably something there. I need to keep looking at this. But we kept losing to the algorithmic because we had Arch, Archway Angel hadn't been released yet, which is the angel that gains you life for each gate you have. So once that got released, I messaged uh, our chat, and I was like, I think we maybe need to play this in gates because we need some way to stabilize because we're just so good at drawing cards. And it was kind of dismissed at first, and I was like, all right, I trust you guys. And so we kind of tabled it. And then when the full spoiler came out, and we started getting cards on cockatru- uh, not cock- on uh, arena, it was like, well, I still think this deck's good. Let's try it and let's work on some stuff. And has it updated his gates list? So I took his list. I think at that point he had put one Archway Angel in the deck. I think I added another one and changed a couple of cards around to have more low of the Ground cards, because if you've looked at the deck from Star City Games, which you can go do, you look at the deck list on 20th place, Mason Clark, nice to meet you. Um, the deck is very big. It has a lot of really big cards. And that's a criticism, which I think is totally fair that I've heard from a lot of podcasting streamers this week is, man, this deck is big. It has so many big spells. It had more originally, and we cut that down a good bit. So we cut that down and we started playing with the deck. And it felt real. And if you've been listening to the podcast every week since the set came out, you'll notice that I brought it up so much because it was always on my mind. Because I was like, I feel like this deck is real, but am I just getting tricked? Am I getting like, it has so many good synergies, it has so many powerful things. Like, am I just falling for this and it's just not rawly powerful enough? And it turns out the Gates cards just are. And they seem, at least in my humble opinion, to be the best way to play a ramp strategy and standard as of right now.
0: And so you were struggling with aggro decks, and so mm-hmm. you addressed that with like Archway Angel and uh, the Plaza of Harmony. Yeah, and lo- we added Lava Coils to the main deck as like a way to interact in the early turns. Okay, and and so you were trying to address those problems at that way. But how were you having any? Were you having any other difficulties with like Planeswalkers or any other kind of permanence?
1: Yes. So one of the problems. So Hess and I were basically the only two playing at that point. Trey here, he picked up the deck after this next iteration of it because at that point I feel like correct me if I'm wrong, but you felt like okay, this seems to solve enough of the problems. But Hess messaged me one day, and he was like, I'm not playing this deck until someone can figure out the answer to Planeswalkers. And I was like, I've already figured that out. I have the deck list here. We put mass manipulation in the deck. So mass manipulation, if you don't know, is blue, 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 XX. Easy casting cost. And you can take, you basically mind control creatures or Planeswalkers, and then for each instance of X you pay, you take one more. So, for example, for 8 mana, you take two things. For 10 mana, you take three things. And what this allows us to do is actually have a way to answer planeswalkers, which we could only really beat with one of our couple of gatebreaker rams or crisis or an expansion explosion. It wasn't really a viable plan. But once we added mass manipulation to the deck, we were then able to answer planeswalkers. And also, what it did is it made our matchup, which was like we were beating the mid range decks, right? Like that's normally what happens if you play a big control deck, you beat these mid range decks. But once we added mass manipulation, it basically became we don't really lose game one as long as we don't get mana screwed. And we only have a chance of losing game two and three because you have so many things that go over the top. And if you've never played with a mind control before, they not only swing tempo, but they're card advantage as well. And the fact that this one scales, right, is insane. If you played back in the team or energy format, you know how backbreaking Confiscation Coup was. It was game over. And in this game, or in this metagame, the way they beat you is they go really wide. And they try to, like, pressure you with that plus a walker to get your gates ablaze. But when you steal their walker and, like, two of their threats, it becomes almost impossible for them to pressure you. So once we added that to the deck, it fixed most of the problems that we had with control decks while also giving us, like, we don't lose to these midrange decks. And when you have, like, a category deck that you don't lose to, it's like, okay, that's pretty appealing. And I can tell you from, from having played with the deck
0: exhausting an opponent's resources where they're trying to protect their Planeswalker to get it to an ultimate, Mm -hmm. and then they've essentially almost run out of cards so they can get to that point, and then on the turn that they're going to ultimate the next turn, you just take it and ultimate yourself is pretty fun.
1: Yeah, so that was another thing that would happen, is we would jam threats into Teferi turns, and they would counter, 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 and be like, okay, I'm going to mass manipulation your Teferian implement." And same with Raul Zarek. Same with... Uh, I've taken I've taken Vraska and Pirates and ulted and then go. Mm-hmm. Like, you're at one. So now, like, I have so many ways to kill you, including your two Pirates. So there's a lot of things that that card does. Now, I admit that that card is big and clunky and not very good against Mono Red. But we have a lot of cards that we think are good against Mono Red. And that was kind of like, okay, we can beat all these decks. We can beat the control decks. Now we really focus on Mono Red. And luckily, one of the good things about Best one on Arena is if you want to test your Mono Red matchup, it's quite easy. You queue up into best of one and you start playing. (laughs) And that's what I did. And I was like, well, if I can beat these decks without a sideboard, I think I can beat them with a sideboard. And so
0: that's where you were kind of going into uh, SCG Indy. That was probably the first week of things. Yeah. And so you had, you know, I think two Gatebreaker Rams, two Lava Coils, three Gate uh, Colossus.
1: Yeah. My my threats, the, the, the main deck threats were three Colossus, two Ram, two Expansion Explosion, two Mass Manipulation. For crisis and that was it really right. you have no other real way to win a game and
0: then you were able to uh you know you were trying to address these problems did you try any other cards other than the ones that we've talked about i mean we kind of yeah. talked on the things that you landed on but like what cards sure. did you try
1: as you were going through that process to try to come up to answers so we've tried a lot so i'll try and keep it brief um the things that i thought were con- real considerations that might have gone the distance and not distincts so this is probably something worth talking about. I don't worry really, maybe I shouldn't glaze over this is there are a lot of times where we just play games with cards and we cut them like immediately and we're like 90% sure it's not going to be good. So an example of this is Vivian Reed in the deck. So a lot of people suggest that I play Vivian Reed over Crushing Canopy. The problem is is that Vivian Reed is five mana, Crushing Canopy is three mana and Vivian Reed while grabbing a land is nice and every now and again you do get a threat it's just you really need the early interaction, and you need the cheap mana because you want Crushing Canopy in the sideboard to answer your Reclamations and the Thief, excuse me, the Thief of Sanities, particularly. Uh, so you need to be able to interact in those early turns and even though you can hit a wilderness reclamation if you have like a gross spiral turn or a secure to turn right and hit things on curve, you much rather hit them before they get a chance to take advantage of that stuff. So Vivian Reed is a card I tried. I've heard a lot of people have suggested it doesn't really play out. Another one is Nezahal. It was just another big threat instead of Carnage Tyrant. I think I was afraid that I couldn't win games with off just Gate Colossus and the truth is you can Day Colossus is just enough. You mean an 8 8 will turn the corner pretty quickly? It not only turns the corner quickly, but against not Vraska's Contempt, it's very hard to die. And people were off Settle, which is something I was cognitive of, and they were on Kaios Wrath. Now, while I didn't play against an Esper control deck that had Settle and not Kaios Wrath, um, I didn't play against Settle at all the, the weekend, which I thought was interesting. Uh, it's just really hard for them to kill. Like the Jeskai deck with someone, which I think is still a real deck, and I played against it uh, this the other day. If you try and answer my Colossuses or my Rams with your damage spells, it's very hard if it's not just a Strike. It's just you're multiplying yourself for one for me, and the Colossus comes back. And against other mid-range decks, they can't beat the Colossus. So the Colossus, I think, was something I should have leaned on. But we tried Nezahal. We landed on Carnage Tyrant. We tried Ral as a card that was just a card advantage that was also answers threats. Because remember, we were wanting things that beat people. Or we wanted to beat Mono Red. And so I was like, if I can play Ral main deck, this might be a better way of... Uh, having a threat that also I can play on an early turn if I grow spiral and secure this route to answer like a steamkin or a chain boy. Uh, but ultimately I decided it was too slow and card advantage isn't, a, isn't really a problem with the deck. As long as you stick one of your things, you're normally pretty good for the rest of the game. In fact, decking becomes a fear. It hasn't happened except for one time to me, but you do have to be cognitive of it. And Ralzair churns through your deck. And his ultimate is actually, I've had this in control decks too, where you almost deck yourself. And those decks are much more like, they can fairy Tuck and do things and not deck. And I couldn't. Right, and I think it's important to note for people that haven't played with the deck, because you might be
0: thinking, like, what do you mean decking or anything else? Yeah. Like, Guild Summit is one of the messed up, most messed up draw spell cards that I've ever seen or played with. Mm-hmm. Like, because the the combination of the fact that you can tap untapped gates you have on a turn that you play it. So if you draw it in the late game, you might draw seven cards or nine cards or, you know, something on the turn that you play it. And then you just start continuing to draw a card every time you play a land. And then if you get them in multiples in play, you're drawing two cards every time you play. And, three it's times. A must draw. and it's a must-draw. And it's a must-draw. And so if you get into those situations where you might be in a midpoint in the game or, a, or an early point in the game and you're like, I need to get card advantage... And then the game goes long. Those guild summits can become possibly a liability on decking if every time you're playing a land or doing something, you're drawing
1: like two cards or three cards. One hundred percent, yeah. In fact, you normally never play anything past the second guild summit, and you only play the second guild summit if you're like playing against Esper type decks that have mortify, and you just want to get underneath uh, Nixon's Binding or invest now, and this you know the raw cards will get you there. And so they're kind of forced to answer guild summit, but you never play more than two really. Like it's unlikely if you play three or four. Like, if you get 3 or 4 in play, you basically aren't allowed to play gates unless you have to. Now, normally you have enough card advantage, that's not a problem. But if you do it in the early turns, you're going to lose. So, it's kind of a problem with the deck. We In fact, even we even think about things. We put another Archway Angel main deck and trimmed a Guild Summit when I was playing Best of 1 a lot. Not only to, to counteract Monored on ladder, but also just to see, like, do I really need all the Guild Summits? Can I, like, have more threats that gain life and buy me time to use these other things? And ultimately, what I decided is that Guild Summit's so good... It's okay for it to be a dead card later because when you get it in the early games, you go get to blaze guild summit, play a tap land, draw a card. That's normally lights out. So that's kind of where we're at. Some other threats, I guess I should. I'll say about one more before we move on. Here is I tried the worm for like two or three games, and I just wasn't feeling it. What is the worm? The mythic rare um, ravager worm, I believe is the name. Oh, As riot, yeah, the I mean, one that fights and kills a land. And- yeah, because I was like, it's a removal spell and a threat. And I think that card's really strong. It just doesn't seem to be exactly what the gate deck's wanting. Because you're so slow, your payoffs need to be really powerful. Um, and I would say the last thing I tested is I tried playing um, Star of Extinction main deck. But ultimately I decided I didn't need that in the main deck. It can be a sideboard. So that's just a couple things. But we tried. I mean, there are so many. I'm actually having trouble coming up with all of them. So.
0: All right. I mean, but that's good. I think that's going through that process of talking about, like, okay, the, we know what the problems were, right? The problems were... Hyper-aggressive decks, and the problems were, you know, um, non-creature permanents like Planeswalkers and enchantments and those types of things. And so you talked about Crushing Canopy uh, to try to address the enchantments. You also Mm -hmm. tried Vivian Reed, some of these other things. And then the Planeswalkers, talked about some of that. Uh, Another card that we tried at one point was Fight with Fire in order to try to deal with Planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. um, And also as an alternative win condition in order to try to just kill them. Mm Because you're already playing, playing Expansion Explosion.
1: In your ramp deck and just kick fight with fire and copy it and, yep. and kill them i will uh, say also along this lines some cards that other people have tried and that i have toyed with are like gift of paradise and then i believe it's called not fenhorn elves no, the elf that looks at the top four and you put a land into play yes. spencer howland of Constructor criticism is a big fan of that card in the deck and he like lowered the the some of the bigger things to have more of that to curve out on people faster and have a jump blocker So there are other things we have tried too along those lines. I just remembered them. But those are the two big ones that I also think are reasonable considerations. And so,
0: you know, then that got us to the list that you settled on for SCG, And then Mm -hmm. you went through the SCG tournament. You were able to play the, you know, the 15 rounds associated with that. What did you learn through going through that process?
1: I learned a lot. So uh, the the first thing I learned is is that my fears about not being able to close out a game were just wrong for the most part. In fact, so the, the thing that I always thought was, my opponents will have to save their answers from my threats, right? And they'll just try to use their exile effects on my gate colossuses. The problem is is that Krasis clocks so quickly that you're kind of forced to use Rastic contempts on Krasis, for example, out of the mid-range decks. Also, because of mass manipulation, there's this weird thing where like they'll kind of hold on to Rastic contempts and you're kind of like just develop mana. Like a lot of times before you mass manipulation, you'll take a hit of 10 and spend a turn playing a bunch of lands. Like security rooting, grow and that kind of stuff. And then they'd Vraska Contempt your Planeswalkers. So you can actually play around Vraska's Contempt pretty well with the deck. So what I realized is I don't need cards like Carnage, Tyrant, and Banefire to win the game. In fact, I just need Gate Matter cards and Expansion. I think Expansion Explosion is so versatile. And it's it's honestly one of my favorite cards too, which helps with it. But it's so versatile and does such a good job of fixing a problem that uh, ramp decks have had. Where you just draw all these cards that are all about lands, right? And then you can't do anything. And this allows you not only to kill them, but to restock when you're not killing them. It's also a pretty good tempo advantage too. If your opponent's, like, going tall instead of wide, you can answer a big threat, draw some cards, and now you're back up in parity. And I've also found that card to be
0: very useful in the deck of, of copying spells that your opponent's casting. Mm-hmm. You know, if they go to Vraska Contempt one of your guys and you get to copy a thing and kill a Planeswalker or kill another permanent... Or even against like some of the Boros decks, we've copied like heroic uh, intervention in order to just block and trade off with things in combat. Yep. Um, or in mirror matches, copying a Securitus root early if they have one and you've only got two mana up and just to maintain parity on ramp, like the card does a wide variety of different things from a defensive standpoint while also being a counterspell in the control
1: matchups without having to play any main deck counterspells. Yeah. So like another thing with that card to mention too is you can get tricky around the spell Pierce Dive Down decks. So I played against uh, Daniel Jessup, I believe is his name, that always plays Blue Red, and I played against him at the SCG. And we, I kind of set up a turn where I went Gates of Blaze, and he had a Drake in play, and he had one mana up, and I had two mana up. So it's like he can't spell Pierce Me, so it has to be Dive Down. So he Dive Downs, and I in response copy my own Gates of Blaze. So my resolves, I get two, we two for two still, but I clear the board of threats. And so you can do cool things like that. I've also copied, I've pulled priority and copied my own Security route on a when I had a Guild Summon in play, to try and draw into an Angel against Red. And then it's like, well, I get four lands out of my deck, I draw four cards, and I'm going to gain eight life, or I guess I gain two more life than I would have before. And so you can do things like that, that are very powerful. Um, but some other lessons I've learned about the deck, though, or that you overpower the Red deck, and I think the matchup's actually good post-board. Uh, before, I was kind of worried that we had to play these big Haymaker cards to win, and now, as long as I feel like we draw one of, th- I feel like if we draw one of our big cards, which are Gatebreaker Ram, Archway Angel, or two Plaza of Harmonies, you normally win. That's kind of where I'm at. So Plaza gaining six life is basically double counterspell against the burn spells, which is messed up. And then Gatebreaker Ram gets so big and clocks people so quickly that they kind of, they, 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 one of two things happens. They either have to waste double burn spell on it, which buys you infinite time, right? Or they have to race you. And because if you have a ram and play, it has Vigilance, too. It becomes hard to race you, so it becomes all about burn spells. Right. It has Vigilance and Trample. Yeah. And so chomping's not effective,
0: and, and it's there on defense as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I've actually changed the way I sideboard, which we'll talk about later, where now I'm bringing in all my negates against them. Because I found the only way they were beating me was their card advantage cards or a like top-deck burn spell. And so I've actually trimmed threats against them even more than I did before. So I, I feel like we've done a lot to like shore up those matchups... And and honestly, the biggest lesson from the uh, the SCG is my decks real. Like, I try to be uh, aware that I'm not like getting caught up in like doing well and the results and everything. But not not only were my opponents not able to like felt like not able, they they weren't prepared for this kind of strategy. But even if they were prepared and playing as people like in day two, seemed like they had a better idea for like these big mana decks and new like had better game plans against them, they still just couldn't beat the raw power my deck has, which is weird because I'm just a good draft deck, right? Like I'm basically like the best sealed deck that you could ever have if you put the two deck, the two sets together, right? If you open two boxes and build a deck, I have the dream deck. But it turns out that's just good enough in standard. And so th- those are the, the big lessons. There are so many little lessons I learned about sequencing and things like that. And that is one thing I would say about this deck: is make sh- it seems like it's just a dumb idiot play all your lands decks, but you you not afford to like lose small edges because you are playing all these tap lands, and so you are behind on curve a lot. And so, in what
0: ways have you then gone about changing the list since that time, like with the lessons that you learned from that from that tournament?
1: Sure. So, Lava Coil is really great, and I love that card, and I think it fixes a lot of problems. One thing that I found though is that my bad matchups. We can beat them by slamming Gatebreaker Ram or slamming a Colossus on turn 4. Or earlier if you get a gross spiral security to type draws. So I actually moved the Lava Coil to the sideboard to kind of become more reactive in certain matchups. And I moved Ram to the main deck. And the biggest thing about that was is I found that it's another way to tax Raskus Contempt. So my Colossuses get more safe. And my Colossus ultimately, my win con against all mid range decks, it isn't mass manipulation. I basically lean on those two. Uh, to actually close out a game crisis and expansion do work but they're not like they're tools in my arsenal they're not my hammers and those are my hammers and then it fixes the red matchup even more because while it is nice to have like guildgate 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 lava coil something on turn 3 like you actually have to use your mana what i've figured out is that because i was so scared of having too many tap lands we've built the mana base in a way where we actually have like 11 un- i knew we had 11 untapped lands but can you pretty consistently play something on turn 3 So it was kind of more awkward where it became, all right, it's a turn five play where I'm like three and two, which is good to double spell, right? To like Lava Coil something and play a Ram. But just being able to play Ram consistently is nice and it helps your bad matchups. I was very fortunate to beat Reclamation and Fog at the SCG. And part of that was knowing I needed like knowing that I have to like slam these Rams as quickly as possible in these colossuses and clock you ASAP. And having the Ram in the main deck shores up the, the bad matchups a little bit because you actually have a chance to just spaghetti race them, right? And then it also protects you from those same matchups for the most part because now they can't afford to, like, bin a fog with their asconta because we have Ram in play and Ram threatens to kill the Teferi. And a lot of times Ram doesn't even... It's not even that I might even kill the Teferi. It might just be a 4-4 Ram, but if I play a land, it becomes a problem. So that slows them down ever so slightly. So yeah, that's the big change for the main deck. Right, and especially with Ram, like, if you
0: just play, like, gate, gate, untapped land ram mm-hmm. and then Untap securitas route like, it's normally over it's over you have a giant guy you know you, six, have, six. you have a 6-6 six, six in play that's just going to continue to grow mm-hmm. every turn and like no one else can really compete in combat at that point in the game mm-hmm. and the other thing that i think that we found was that gatebreaker ram would like early like that providing that kind of pressure also deals with things that might be problematic like a big flyer or something mm. else, because now they can't race. Like, they're they're having to hold back on defense to try not to die, just yeah. to the ram coming in.
1: Yeah, so, like, Mono Blue's, like, a pretty hard matchup, for example. And even though, like, it, the Dejin will normally either trade for it or something, and they might just leave back a, a Chump Blocker. The fact that it has Trample means that the Chump Blockers, they have to, like, win the race exactly. Or I'm, like, buying turns. And the trick is that, the trick about this deck is that you can beat any deck. There's no deck in the format you can't beat given enough time, including the next well, the Nexus decks, they can like take all the turns or whatever, but because you have Ram in them, the main deck now at four of, you can clock them quick enough. So you have a game plan against everyone. So while blue is blue and fade are your hardest matchups, if you just play Ram in both those matchups, it gives you enough time and applies enough pressure that you can sometimes cheese out the game one. And in post-board, we have good plans for those decks. And we're able to kind of crush them there. Um, and, and I think mm-hmm. that that's a good point to try to transition. I do want to say
0: one more thing yeah. about Gatebreaker Ram is it, it's a nice mental shortcut is that you can always cast Gates of Blaze and you know it won't die. Gatebreaker Ram will never die to Gates of Blaze, mm-hmm. which is a lot of times you have to pay attention and try to count and all these other kinds of things. But Gatebreaker Ram is a 2-2 plus Gates. Yeah. And so you know exactly how many Gates you have in play and you know that it's never going to die to Gates of Blaze. It's always safe to cast if it's in play. It
1: feels like a card that originally was a 0 and got bigger for each Gate, and then for probably limited purposes, they made it a 2-2, right? To kind of encourage people to play the Gates decks. That's probably something they think is cool. And just because of that, it's pushed the card over the edge. Because it feels like a card that's like its power and toughness is equal to Gates you control. But it's always two more. And that is huge, like you said. Uh, the last thing I'll say before we move off Gatebreaker Ramp, It is pivotal to the deck, though. Is that like decks like Mono White game one you can slam this ram and they have to kind of build up multiple lords to attack through your ram and you get to attack it and offer these like three for one trades. And it's like your toughness means like you normally don't have enough power to not trade three for one.
0: It's just so hard not to. Yeah. So it's also fun because then it turns your ramp deck into the weirdest Delver deck ever.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> against against control and fog, you play like Ram plus a negate for the whole game,
0: yeah. and you're just like, you probably can't
1: beat this if I play it right.
0: So this is going to transition into what I want to talk about next, which is some of the specific matchups mm-hmm. and and what your plan is in those matchups and what kind of your role is okay. with the deck in those matchups. And we'll just start with that. We'll start with control. Esper control.
1: So Esper control, I think, is the hardest of the two control decks. There's Esper control, and people, some people are still playing guy. The just guy is totally reasonable and admits it. it's very powerful. Um, but let's focus on Esper first. So for Esper, you need to tax their Sycopates and you need to tax their Rascals attempts and, and you need to check fairies. So your role in that matchup is try and stick a Guild Summit early or try and stick a, a Ram early. So basically on turn three, try and stick something that they have to play and tax their Chemistry Insight turns. Um, because normally, even though we can play stuff on three, you'll kind of wait, because you don't want them to just get a free absorb on you. Mm-hmm. So you'll wait till they have four lands and make them choose between chemists and this. And a lot of times, if they're inexperienced in the matchup, they'll choose chemisters because they think that they can answer your other pre- threats. Um, so because your deck is so big, you want to try and stick one or two threats on the board at a time, that way Kyra's doesn't beat you. And you want to try and incentivize them to Rastas Contempt things that aren't Colossus. Because if they Rastas Contempt... So you have three uh, gateway Colossus in your main deck. every time you play a gate, it goes from your graveyard on top of your deck. So if you can get rid of two or three Rassus of Contempts with no Colossus dead, you basically can't lose unless to Fairy Ultimates. Because they'll try and kill the Colossus. And you'll play a gate, stack your Guild Summit trigger, so gate goes first. Summit first, then Colossus. Colossus goes on top, you draw and replay it. At that point, it's normally one to zero mana. So you just kind of loop them and... Unless they're like having it to ferry about to ultimate, they can't answer that card. So you just try to pressure them in that way. And then post-board, you become a Delver deck like Trey said. So you cut almost all your removal spells. You leave in a couple Gates of Blaze because some people play uh, History of Analia, the most popular one is Thief of Sandy, and I've seen Lyra be brought in against me. So you leave in one or two Gates of Blaze just to have an out to those cards. Also, same with Control because you want to be able to beat Dive Down Niv-Mizzet out of the Just Guy decks, uh, but we'll get more to that in a second. So... You try and pressure them like that, and then you just try to stick a ram, stick a guild summit and just protect it. And then keep the fairies off the board. And you also try to like weasel your way around mass manipulating their their threats. So sometimes what you'll do is like, you'll throw a big expansion explosion at their face. They have to counter it where you draw so many cards and deal them so much damage and you're like, okay, untap, steal your Thief of Sanity. And like, even though you just stole Thief of Sanity, they probably trimmed on removal spells, and then the ones they kept are all the exiling ones like we just talked about. So now if you get them the Rastes of Contempt there and Thief on their turn, they're down on mana, they're down on Rastes of Contempt, and Vrasse of Contempt and Sycopate are what matter the most to Colossus, which is your main win condition. Alright, and how does that vary from the role on the Jeskai control? So Jeskai control is infinitely easier. Because they don't have as many exile effects. <laughs> <laughs> so you basically just need to play around and settle the wreckage and just jam your threats into them. You still play like a Delver deck. It's all the same, except you, you get to be more aggressive with your Colossus. So while against control, you might want to wait until you can like, you've seen of Rascal's Contempt before you play a Colossus, assuming you have that luxury. And that deck, you just like slam it down as long as you know you won't get sycopated. And then sometimes if you have to play to a sycopate, you it's better to play into that than to not. So...
0: And we've talked about this one some, but it's the it's the big deck right now, the Sultai uh Krasis deck. deck, is the best way I can try to say b G Krasis.
1: Yeah, it's just black, green, splashing Crasis, and yeah. negates and and uh disabled stroke right. basically. So uh, how does that normally play out and what's your plan against that deck? So game one, uh your basic game plan is try not to get mana screwed, and as long as they don't have like insane draws and your draws are like average, you normally win this cause you have more powerful things going on. Game two, you basically bring in your two star of extinction and negate Colossus. And you trim on some growth spirals and, <coughs> excuse me, one archway angel. And then you kind of just play the game. And you have so many big cards that the only way they can reasonably beat you is go like, turn one duress, take a ramp spell or a guilt summit, turn two, play a wild growth walker, turn three, play a Jay light ranger, and then add to the board while holding up stroke and negate for all your next spells. Because if they don't, it becomes very hard for them to actually win. Because part of the problem is you get to jam these threats that answer their threats and then mass manipulation steal everything. And then they're left with nothing. Uh, So you get to just basically force them to have it every single turn and they try and keep just a fast draw. If you draw Gates of Blaze, it's not enough. So you need to be aware of Wild Growth Walker getting bigger than your Gates of Blaze and you need to be aware of jamming enough and then having something to push through at the end. And sometimes, excuse me, I had uh, in my last round of day one, I played against Chad Hardney of Team Nova and I had a Starve Extinction in my hand for like four turns. But I didn't want to slam it because I knew Chad probably had Negate postboard. So I eventually got to a point where I played a Guild Summit on a turn where Chad tapped down to just two mana. So I played Guild Summit. If Chad lets that resolve, I draw six cards. If he doesn't, I would play Star of Extinction. So Chad counters it, had to. I Starve Extinction is one blue source, and it's like, okay, game's over, right? So the only other cards that really matter in that matchup are Vivian Reed because the answer is Guilt Summit, Vraska because it can cheese you, because you have so much incidental life gain that you basically have like six or seven turns of getting beat down on and then uh hadana's climb because what hadana's climb does is not only makes the wild growth walkers get out of gates of blaze faster if they're smart they'll keep up a threat that won't like as long as it won't kill you by jumping it they'll hold it up along with counter mana so you can't gates of blaze because if they double almost anything it's so unlikely that gates of blaze actually kills it and then it doubles the damage to you so it gives them an out in the matchup so those are the cards you have to be aware of. Right. The old the old defensive Hadanas climb play.
0: It's very good still, turns it out. <laughs> um what about the uh the red decks? And we've been talking about that kind of periodically, but like what is the plan against the the red decks?
1: So you have normally kind of when you're like, so let's say you know you're playing against red. Right? You're like, at an RPTQ, you're at an SCG, and you know your opponent's on red. For game one... You've been on that scouting. If you're like me, your opponent next to you had tattoos on their hands, and then they're shuffling, and you <laughs> see these tattoos on their hand, and you're like, oh, I get to keep this turn four angel hand. So good. <laughs> but jokes aside, uh, it's like, let's say you know they're on red, right? Because obviously you're, the hands you kind of want to keep just in general, I guess we should say, are like guild summon and ramp spells and some sort of payoff, and like four lands. Like that's kind of what... If I could take that, I'd take that every time. So... Uh, if you're not looking for those hands, you're looking for early Gatebreaker Ram because Gatebreaker Ram stops the creatures and creatures are their recursive form of damage. Or you want a hand that has a couple gates and plaza into an angel because that will buy you enough time and slow the, slam the door on them. And then post-board, the way I've now decided to start sideboarding is I take out all the mass manipulations, obviously. I take out all the, uh, gate, uh, the gate Colossus and then I take out one expansion explosion. I bring in four negates and two angels. And that's all. And so that way, what I found is is that cards like... Uh, light up the stage, uh, risk factor, and expansion explosion, not expansion, uh, experimental frenzy, sorry, off the top of the leg game the only way they were beating me, or they were like cheesing me out with a sp- uh, burn spell. And so I wanted more ways to interact all- along the curve, and I wanted some way to prevent card advantage from taking over the game, basically. But with, between Crisis, Angel, Plaza, you have so much instant life gain that as long as you get to play with them for like four turns, you're probably got a chance the, 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 the secret is against Red is if you have two Plaza or one Angel, you probably win. Like any, or if you have both, you probably can't lose. But e- any combination of those, that's like the secret sauce. If you look at your hand and you're not sure, it's like, well, if I could like, draw a gate, these will turn on. You probably keep those hands. Oh, and you try to stick Ram. That's just like your role too. It's like Ram, slam, slam, slam. It's also your plan against Blue-White or just blue, uh, mono white in general, is just play a Ram, and it attacks and defends so well, like we talked about earlier. Did you, did you look at my list? Because I was going
0: to ask you about that deck next. Oh, <laughs> uh, really? I yeah. I, I,
1: actually, I knew it was on there, but I forgot. Yeah, so the plan against them is the same. Try and draw Gates of Blaze. Try and play a Ram. Just... Uh, so the, the good thing about this deck is it's so powerful that all the plans are pretty similar. It's just the nitty-gritty end game that gets harder. Yeah. And so when we can't go into that in a podcast. So I can only tell you these big plans that we have. Uh, so... Against blue-white, uh, you just try to stick a ram and pressure them and then play Gates blaze, And just be aware that they can sell parachute and try and play around as long as you can.
0: And, and the last one, just as a thing, is the Nexus decks. The Reclamation decks and those types of things.
1: Okay, so Neclamation... Ne- Re- necla- Re- Neclamation! <laughs> Reclamation, Nexus, those are a problem matchup. Okay. Uh, because they, in theory, go bigger than you... And some of your best cards don't matter in those matchups. For example, Gates Blaze and Guild Summon only really matters if you have a Gatebreaker Ram already in play as a way to keep chaining gates to increase the pressure. So your plan, so let's say you're, you're scouted, you're going to top 8 of an RPDQ and your opponent's on Nexus. You want to mulligan to a hand that is fast ramp into a threat, right, or just has a couple Gatebreaker rams. Because game one, they have enough fogs and things like that that like our deck can't really compete with them. So your only real way to beat them is to play Rams early, force them to keep fogs, have them fog, play it to fairy, then mass manipulation it later, or fade on fog turns. And then post-board, you bring in all your crushing canopies, all your negates, all of those cards, and you bring out your creature removal spells. Even if they bring in something like Nezahal, which happened to me online a couple times, it's like, all right, I'll play a gate colossus. So you bring in your colossus, bring in negates, bring in your crushing canopies, And you kind of just play like this slow tempo game and you force them to kind of play into your removal spells and just hope you have enough. They're going to bring in negates. They're going to bring in their own crushing canopies a lot of the time because they'll see Krasis and Guild Summit. Uh, But even with that happening, their cards matter so much, like having them, that as long as you don't get past turn 12, you can probably beat them. But if you get like a Gatebreaker and negates, you can live longer than that. And then I would say the cards to kind of worry about are... I would counter Teferi's when it's clean. I'd counter Reclamation if it's clean. Assuming I don't have Crusher. And assuming I just have like a Negate, right? And I would counter Nexuses if I have Lethal on board. And so we're close to it. Another thing to remember with the deck against them is that with Guild Summit, you can draw into ways to get multiple gates in the play. So it might look like they have two turns, but it's like, all right, if I draw uh, security Root, draw two cards, draw a Gurs Spiral, play a land, land for turn, that's Lethal. And I had that happen in the SCG. It didn't pay off, but... It was like, okay, I have an out to maybe win this game. I should take it. And I I try and take those outs whenever uh, reasonable for the most part.
0: Well, and I hope that this has been something that's been fun and useful for everybody because Mm -hmm. this is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. And I think this deck is really interesting in trying to take this deeper look into the process of how you get there, right? We've talked about earlier in the podcast, uh, you know, in previous episodes about shortcuts when you don't have a lot of time, Mm -hmm. right? But we wanted to talk about what the process is, is if you are putting in the work to try to get a deck that looks like a good idea from the point where you have the concept to the point of it being something that you want to play in a kind of competitive event. And I hope that this provided some insight into what that process looks like.
1: Yeah, I hope it was helpful for people. I try not to ramble too much, but one of the problems with the deck is your general game plan, like in the abstract, is so powerful, it all sounds so easy. But in game, if I had to give one last tip, it would be just think about what you can draw to. Think about what you're trying to do in each matchup and try and learn your role and what cards you're trying to draw to. And just be aware of, like, everything your cards can do. I won one game because I played a uh, Gates Blaze. They countered it as Mono Blue, And I played a Crisis for one to buy a turn to play another. Uh, there was some card, I think it was Mass Manipulation, I could play on the next turn. And it was like, right, I need to play this Crisis for one. That's something you can do. And just think about everything your cards can do and what you can draw into.
0: Yeah, and there can be games too where like, I've played against Mono Blue and played a Gatebreaker Ram on three. And then had the option of playing a second Ram or a a Guild Summit on four. Mm -hmm. And it's like your general line of play would be play Guild Summit, play a land. But because I knew my role in that game was going to be I was going to have to race them. It's better to play the Ram and then just try to get more things on the board. And so like, identifying your role with the deck is very important.
1: Yeah, Guild Summit's bad there. Yeah.
0: it really is i don't know why that's a sheep thing but we did it um, i have bad jokes but you know the the previous version of the list is available uh you know from the star city event and we'll also tweet out the updated version of the list uh it'll be up by the time you up see by the time that this uh, episode is out and then that way you can kind of see the things that we've been talking about and see what the process was between the lists
1: yeah for sure and there's still a lot you can do with this deck i think we haven't found the best version of it but i think given the time and the work and what we're trying to beat we have. Pretty a pretty good version of the deck, and honestly, the gate deck's cheap. Invest in your crisis now; it's going to be a real player the whole time. The rest of the deck costs a shoelace a shoelace and nickel, and the deck's powerful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and it's
0: super fun. Yeah, and, and you know there are things like playing a three mana enchantment and drawing like nine cards off of it is it's fun.
1: Yeah, you also if you're playing it now, you're in the early stages where people don't know it's good, right. which is really fun. <laughs> like people like read your guilt and they're like, "What are you doing with that?" And it's like I don't know. Let's keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> But that's going to do it for this uh, episode
0: this week. And uh, if you want to message me or talk to anything about it, you can send a message to me on Twitter at TreyMC. And Mason, they can find you at all of the various and sundry places. Twitter (laughs)
1: at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash TheMasonClark. I wanted to stream after more at the SCD, but I was so tired and so sick and everything. It was was miserable this past week. (laughs) We put in a lot of work considering how bad we felt. Uh, Shout out to our friends for also playing a bunch of games there. Uh, You can find me also.
0: On, on the, the Constructed
1: network. Criticism Network. You already know, Trey. You can check out the network there. We have Constructed Criticism, which is the flagship show. It's very focused on like the GP, Pro Tour, SCG metagame, that kind of uh, stuff. They have John Stern and Seth Manfield as the co hosts Very good Magic players. Can't say enough about them. Check it out if you're into competitive Magic, for sure. Uh, if you're into Popper and that kind of stuff, and especially competitive Popper, you should check out Common Knowledge. Those two are killing it over there. They're doing a great job. They are an all-things popper. Nothing can foil them. And they'll oubliet you listen to it. No one knows what oubliet is. (laughs) That's bad now, Trey. Never bad. Always terrible. All right. So then if you want to check out Homeward Path, If you're like an MTG dad on a budget and you really want a show that can kind of relate and help you through that, I'll check out Homeward Path. And finally, if you like talk shows, you kind of like the more laid back thing, maybe you like Magic Cursory and you just want to hear people from the Magic community, check out The Hive Mind on the network. It's a bi-weekly interview show. He has people like The Professor, Jeff Hoogland, always these big Magic people that come on. He's got cosplayers on, like Ashlyn Rose, I believe, was a guest two weeks ago. So... Always cool things going on the network. Make sure to check that out. You can subscribe to each of those shows individually on iTunes, or if you look up Constructive Criticism, that main feed has it. And if you're seeing us on that channel, you can also check out Even Odds Pod on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get a podcast. If you like this episode, though, let us know. This is something that Trey, I thought was a really great idea when he first pitched it to me, I hope we did a good job. Hopefully in the future, we can do this kind of thing again if people feel like it's something that's helpful with maybe a new standard format or something like that happens. Assuming that, you know we can provide that kind of insight to a deck for y'all. And I hope it was helpful.
0: Right, yeah, because it's only going to be something that we're going to feel like really qualified to do if it's a deck that we've put in the work on. Yeah. Right, that we've gone through the process on. So it's not something that we are just going to like dive into on every single time or every single deck. But if it's something that I think that if we feel like we have enough familiarity and we have gone through a process of trying to solve problems with a particular deck to tune it then it's something that, you know, if, if listeners are interested in it, we're certainly interested
1: in continuing to do it. For sure. And we hope that the like that it's not so much what I said and, like, the tricks to playing the gate deck, which is, like, sure, that's helpful. I want We really want you to apply what I said and what we did to your deck. So when you're testing your Adapt deck, you're testing your Mardu Diva deck, you're applying similar things like, okay, what are the problems? How can I solve these things? And I hope that was helpful. Thank you for rolling with us. All right, Trey, you weren't a week off the wow. Okay, I got you. So, <laughs> so uh, this week when I got back, my I, got, I just recently got a new car. And the car had got tuned up and everything. But before it was handed off to me, uh, I got it from my father. And he was like, hey, this thing happened in November where it was really weird. I was driving the Target. When I got there, it just said transmission error, going to safety protocol, going to first gear or whatever. It wouldn't let me shift above. And so it's like, I pulled into Target, I went in, it came out, and it was gone. And he's like, I try to take it to the mechanic. The light was gone or the car was gone? The, the light was gone. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. The light the light was gone. There was no problem. Right. My bad. Sorry. I guess that's, that's, I had the car now. So my mind, that's fair. Good point. So either way, <laughs> he's like, I don't know what was wrong, but you know, if it happens, whatever, right. Like blah, 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 blah. Just take it to this guy. He'll take care of it. Right. So on Monday I was driving the car. It did that. I turned the car off, turned it back on after a little bit. It went away, and then it came back up. And I'm like, all right, clearly the problem's here. I need to take this to the mechanic. So I dropped the car off at the mechanic. And honestly, he was kind of, like, not getting back to me for a little bit. And I was like, what's going on? And so eventually I talked to him on Thursday. And I'm like, hey, man, what's up with my car? Like, what's the ETA? on fixing it. I just need to know because I got some stuff going on this week. I need to know. This I need to plan stuff out. And he's like, well, I think it's this filter in the car. But oh, boy, if it's not. And, and immediately, as soon as he goes... <laughs> Oh boy, if it's not, it's just, you don't say that when you're someone trying to get their car fixed. You don't just go, oh boy, that's like a Trey was a lawyer and he was like, luckily there was no DNA at the crime scene, but oh boy, if there was, <laughs> that does that even mean, that's not even helpful, that's just scary. So I just, anti-shouts to you, Valdez guy, giving me a heart attack. Thank you for rolling with us.